to the Icon Church podcast. Icon Church is one church in five locations. Our vision is human flourishing. We pray that this podcast helps you to flourish in life. For any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. so good and as we've been saying this is a seven service weekend so today we are in Derby we are in Sheffield we're obviously here in Chesterfield and we're also live in Sutton as well as uh, with a growing online congregation who we're finding interacting with us more and more and uh, it's great we also love as Jane says to welcome new people so if you're new in any of those locations we want to welcome you this morning saying we're so glad you chose to be an icon church today so come on church let's welcome New people who are in church. Okay, you can take your seats. We are launching this morning a new series called You Are Not the Underdog. And uh, I thought I was, um, that I was the person who'd come up with that title. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but I have a little app on my phone called Evernote. And Evernote is where I take notes. That's why it's called Evernote. And uh, I, I thought I'd search David and Goliath and I'd search underdog. And, you know, in the services when someone's preaching, I'm sat there and that's where I'm putting. I'm putting notes in Evernote. And I noticed in 2017, Gavin here in Chesterfield spoke a message called You Are Not the Underdog. Well, I thought it was an original idea to me, but actually, obviously, it was in my psyche that had come from Gavin. And so thanks for that, Gavin. And, uh, but this series of messages is based on some thoughts and some ideas, and we're going to be three weeks in all our locations talking about you are not the underdog and looking into the story of David and Goliath. And so here's where we're going. To, today, I want to talk about bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. How do you bring your boldest self to your biggest challenges. Next week, I want to talk about the law of desirable difficulty. And then on the final week, I want to talk about your enemy is not as powerful as you think. But I want to start with a confession. I don't think it's a confession of a sin, but it is a confession. And uh, here's my confession this morning as I start. I don't usually root for the underdog. I know that in Britain, we like to root for the underdog, and maybe around the world that's true as well, but I don't normally root for the underdog. Somebody once asked me, well, Paul, why do you think that is? Why don't you root for the underdog? You know, whether it's football match, tennis match, or whatever. And I guess it's because I think if somebody's ranked higher than somebody else, and and that ranking is correct, then actually the person ranked higher should win. That keeps everything as it should be in the world equilibrium. Now there are exceptions. There are moments when I do root for the underdog. Uh, One of those moments is at Wimbledon right now and Rafael Nadal is my favourite. And he's, oh good, thank you, thank you. But he's only ranked number three at the moment uh, in Wimbledon. He's only seeded three, which he wasn't very happy about by the way. But Nadal, so if Nadal plays Djokovic who's ranked one or Federer who's ranked two, I am rooting for the underdog. I'm rooting for Nadal and he is going to catch Federer's you know Grand Slam titles or whatever it is Arsenal if it comes to Arsenal now there's not often I have to root for the underdog when it comes to Arsenal but there are a few teams better than Arsenal at the moment and so I I would always root uh, for Arsenal but there is one team Mansfield Town Football Club that I find myself often rooting for the underdog when it comes for Mansfield Town there's another exception 
where I will root for the underdog. And that's when there's injustice or oppression. And I guess that's a human thing. I guess that as humanity, whenever we see oppression or injustice and somebody being downtrodden somebody by somebody more powerful or greater or bigger, that actually humanity we root for the underdog, unless, of course, we're the oppressor. And I want to turn over these next three weeks to this story of David and Goliath, where for years, for centuries, we've kind of took this as the, you know, the typical story of the underdog, of giant killing. And, uh, and, and look into this story under this title of You Are Not the Underdog. Because the truth is we all face giants in our lives. And when we face giants in our lives, we feel inadequate, we feel ill-equipped, we feel unprepared, we feel afraid. We feel like the underdog. But what if you are not the underdog? What if, even though you have all those feelings, you are not the underdog? I know it seems weird, right, to think like that. I know it seems strange to think like that. But what if, when we face our giants, we are not always the underdog? Giants, of course, are a metaphor for an overwhelming situation where the odds are stacked heavily against us where it seems that something might be impossible or improbable, or at best, it's very unlikely that we would succeed or come through. Jeannie and I have been pastors of Icon Church for 32 years. We've actually been pastors longer than that, but pastors of Icon Church for 32 years. And we have walked with people as they faced giants in their lives in many areas. We also have faced giants in our own lives in many areas. Some of those giants that people have faced and some that we have faced include change in life. Some have faced the giants of sudden change and sudden circumstances shifting. And that's been a major thing, an overwhelming thing for people. People have faced situations with their children. And that's been an overwhelming thing. What about sickness and health? That people actually face challenges in those areas of life that become gigantic and are huge and are enormous. And how do you bring your boldest self to that biggest challenge in your life. Relationships, people often face the giant of a challenge in relationships, whether that's a a close relationship or that can be relationships with people just somewhere in their world. Failure, the giant of failure. When you try something, when you're hopeful for something and it doesn't work out, we've walked with people through that giant many times and faced it ourselves. What about post-traumatic stress disorder? That's a giant I never saw coming, but that's a giant I've been facing in my life. We've walked with people who've faced the giants of addiction. And in all of these areas, some some people have succeeded and come through and others have succumbed and not been able to get through. A giant of depression, the giant of anxiety. What about doubt? The giant of doubt. You know, that's when everything's going well. And if you were to write a spreadsheet about your life, the spreadsheet would come up with the total. Things are going good. And yet inside of you, you've got this nagging feeling. It's all going to go belly up. It can be a giant in our lives. People suffer sometimes with imposter syndrome. That's the, that's the syndrome where they think they're a fraud, where they're in a situation and they think it shouldn't be going this well. I'm not really this good. (laughs) And they can feel a fraud. It can be a giant. We've walked with people. We faced ourselves the giant of finance and the worry and the pressure that that can put on lives. People face unemployment and redundancy. And that's a gigantic thing in people's lives. But when we face giants, every time we face giants, they bring things with them. They bring fear, intimidation, They bring the intention to lower our self-esteem 
and diminish our confidence. And so my question to us, and we'll look at this over this next three weeks, how do ordinary people like you and me, how do we face giants? We're going to go into the greatest story of giant killing, David and Goliath. But we're going to tell this story like you've never heard. Because I think for centuries we've seen this story in one way. But there are some things, some, some recent thoughts and ideas and research about this story that actually reveal some things to us that actually we may never have seen before. Maybe you're facing a giant right now, one of the ones I've mentioned or something different in your life. I believe this series can help you. Maybe you're just afraid that one day you're going to face a giant. Something is going to hit your life or your family or your world. And this series, I believe, will help you to prepare. Maybe you just know this is life. We face giants. We have challenges. But my goal today is to help us that when those things happen to us, help us to bring our boldest self to our biggest challenge. So in a moment, I'm going to turn to the scriptures and read some of this story. But before I do, let me set the scene. There's a, a nation, a group of people, they're called the Philistines. And originally, they're from Crete. And they travel over on ships to Israel, what we know as Israel today. And, and they live on the coast, on the west coast of Israel. And uh, they're a seafaring nation. And they, but then they begin to advance inland. Their intent is clear. They want to advance and take Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel and Judah. And as they're advancing inland, they come to this place called the Valley of Elah. And Saul, the king of Israel and Judah, he rallies his army, he gets his troops, as many as he can, and he goes out to meet them. And what happens is a standoff. On one side of the Valley of Elah, you've got the Philistine army. They're on one ridge, high up. And then on the other side, you've got the Israelite army. And again, they're high up. And nobody wants to descend into the valley because to descend into the valley would be to give away the advantage and to make yourself vulnerable to the opposition. No, neither army wants to do that. And so the Philistines decide to fight this battle a different way. Actually, a common way in ancient times, we will choose a champion to fight against the champion that you choose. And whoever wins out of the champion, then the, that army has won the battle. And so Goliath is sent by the Philistines into the Valley of Elah. He's a giant with heavy armor, And he issues a challenge. Send your champion to come and fight me. You know, often, as I've said, nations would fight battles this way. Champion v. Champion. And whichever champion won, the nation would be the victor. So that's the background to the story. And I'm going to read a few passages from 1 Samuel 17 that actually just take us into this story of David and Goliath for us this morning. So 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to begin with verses 4 to 11. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, nine feet, nine inches. That's tall, isn't it? You know, if I like stretch my bones, you can see I'm getting taller and slimmer because I'm breathing in. I'm six feet. He's another three feet nine on top of me. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. His armor is nine stone. That's like having me on his back. (laughs) Or at least my legs. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin 
was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, <coughs> why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Who wouldn't be? And then verses 16 to 18. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. Now Jesse had said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. Cheese sandwiches. Oh, have you ever played that game? If you had one more meal, what would it be? Mine would be a cheese sandwich. If you only had one more meal. I know, I know, it's odd. But anyway, take these cheese sandwiches. He reached um, uh, these 10 cheeses. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. Then jumping down a little further to verse 22. David gets there and he leaves these things with the keeper of supplies. And after he does this, he run, ran to the battle and asked his brothers, how were they? As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, steps out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give to him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, David says, that he would defy the armies of the living God? Jumping down to verse 31, last few verses. What David said... When they heard David say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It was that phrase. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, do not let anyone lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the air, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he had defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the, head of this the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <clears throat> what an incredible story. A shepherd boy, the youngest in his family, delivering cheese sandwiches to his brothers. He is going to be the warrior. He is going to be the champion that steps into the valley to fight Goliath. You see, Goliath, He's not just a giant. He's got this nine stone of armor. He's a machine. He's a walking tank. 
you know, and for 40 days he's been stepping out and intimidating and frightening the armies of Israel, ridiculing them and saying, haven't you got anybody? Come to me, come to me, send your best. And for 40 days, Israel has been losing confidence. For 40 days, Israel has had dwindling self-esteem. For 40 days, they have been trembling with fear. For 40 days, they have been sick to the stomach. And for 40 days, no one stepped forward. No, can you imagine how discouraging that would be if you were Saul? No one stepped forward until David. Until David. David is bold. His brothers think he's reckless. Saul thinks he's ill-equipped. Saul thinks he's too young. He's just a shepherd boy. And how could he fight this warrior, Goliath? But David has confidence. And I wonder what it was in David that Saul saw that enabled Saul to say, okay, go and fight Goliath. Because there's a lot at stake. If David loses, they become the servants and the slaves of the Philistines. There's a lot at stake. So Saul, as king, has got to be careful who he sends into this battle. And at first he says, no way, you're too young, you're just a shepherd. But Saul saw something in David that day that he didn't see anywhere else in Israel. He saw faith, he saw courage, and he saw boldness. He saw a confidence in this young man. And also, he had no other options. This challenge needed someone who would bring their boldest self to this biggest challenge. And David could do that. That's what Saul saw David had. And I don't know about you and I know about me that sometimes when we face giants in our lives, we will feel all those things. We'll feel ill-equipped. We'll feel fear. We'll feel intimidated. We'll lose often self-esteem and we will have dwindling confidence. And even in those moments where that is true of us and that's all normal and natural, God, I believe, wants us to still bring our boldest self into our biggest challenges in those times. So I want to look today at how, how David could bring his boldest self and how you and me can bring our boldest self to our biggest challenges. Your boldest self, my boldest self might not look exactly like David's boldest self. We might not be running into a valley to meet a nine foot nine Goliath, but it's still needed, whatever giants and whatever challenges we face. But first, I want to correct a misunderstanding. I want to say this morning that David is not the underdog which is good for me because it means I can root for David. This story has been said for thousands of years that David's the underdog. But I'm going to show you this morning, he is not the underdog in this fight. Everyone thinks he is, but we've misread the story. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, Paul, you're going to say David's not the underdog because God was with him. Nope, I'm not going to say that. Well, not until the end. But what I'm going to say is that David had confidence, yes, in God, and he would attribute his victory to God. But he had also confidence in something else. It wasn't just fueled by his faith. Let me explain. In ancient times, there were three types of soldier. Cavalry, horses, chariots. They were fast moving. And armies would only have a few of them because they were very expensive. But cavalry. And then there was infantry, foot soldiers, foot soldiers who would have armour, spears and swords. And from infantry you had a subdivision called heavy infantry. These were people who had full armour, tunics, scales of armour, bronze shin guards, foot guards, plates over their feet, helmets, javelins, swords. 
A short-range spear, it was said of Goliath, because Goliath was heavy infantry. A short-range spear that actually had weights on it that could be thrust speedily into the armour of an opponent and actually was so powerful, it could burst through even the armour like Goliath's heavy infantry. It could penetrate anything that people were wearing. These heavy infantry soldiers, obviously, like Goliath, had an attendant, too, who would go with them, carrying a shield so that they would be protected. They would have extra protected. Like I say, Goliath was a tank on two legs, effectively. And then there was a third type of soldier, artillery, bows, arrows, and slingers. And David was a slinger. He didn't have a catapult like I had when I was a kid, you know, one of those where you pull back and one of those I tried to make often time and fire at the kids on the next street. But I wasn't a very good shot or aim or anything like that. But David had a sling which was two ropes with a pouch and he would, you would turn this sling around six, seven revolutions a second and then you would, at its optimum speed, you would release one of the ropes and the stone would go flying towards the enemy. Slingers were so effective, particularly against infantry, that they, and so skillful, that history tells us that actually Irish slingers could hit a coin as far as they could see it. If they could see it, they could hit it. The Old Testament tells us about slingers in the book of Judges, that they were accurate to a hair's breadth. I think I've still got some, I can't find any at the moment. But they were accurate to a hair's breadth. That's pretty accurate. There are paintings in walls of ancient civilizations where slingers are taking out birds in mid-flight. And the Romans had so much trouble with slingers. Their infantry had so much trouble that actually they created a tool, a pair of tongs, that would quickly get the stones out of the bodies of the infantry soldiers where the sling had gone through the armour and was in the body. If the sling, if the stone had missed the armour and hit the body of the soldier, often they would die pretty quickly or into... Um, they would be dead. That stone could travel at 34 metres per second, which was a, is a small calibre gun. David was lethal. He was not the underdog. Goliath was coming to him with big infantry armour. David had a gun, a 45 caliber gun. He was an experienced slinger. And it's said that an experienced slinger could hit a target in those days at 200 yards. Now here's how it worked. It's a bit like rock, paper, scissors. We'll have a game in a second. Infantry could stand up to cavalry. Cavalry would come with their horses and their, their chariots, but infantry with their spears and their shields could often stand up and fight cavalry. Cavalry could stand up to artillery, slingers, bows and arrows, because they were fast moving and they were harder targets to hit. So they were more useful in that kind of standoff. But artillery could stand up to infantry because they... Infantry was slow moving, static, and they could fire. It's just like rock, paper, scissors. Now, Judith, do you know how to play rock, paper, scissors? Are you sure? Come on, give Judith a round of applause. She's going to come and help me. Now, I need you to know that, Judith, until this morning, I'd never lost at rock, paper, scissors. But I played Hannah in the first service, and I lost 3-0 at rock, paper, scissors. We're going to have three goes. But I am going to change the rules slightly. Remember, I've never lost. So I'm Goliath. Okay. Like, 
So you've got no chance. Who are you that you would come and defy me and the army of the Philistines? Come, send the little runt out here and let me destroy him. I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. Okay. I like her confidence, don't you? Here's the change of the rules. I'm going to give you a half a second. We're going to do one, two, three, and then I'm going to reveal. And you've got half a second. Hannah beat me 3-0. You know, because normally you play this game, one, two, three, you both reveal, don't you? Like that. But she's going to have half a second. Now who's the underdog? Me. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm feeding your flesh to the birds of the air. All right. This is everything's relying on this. The future of Icon Church, Judith, is relying on this. Are you ready? One, two, three. One nil to me. It's the best of three. It's the best of three. Icon Church could be finished after this. Are you ready? It's the best of three. You've got half a second, remember. Are you ready? One, two, three. Good night. You're Goliath. I'm David. I've just defeated the giant. Uh, that's 2 nil to me. It's all over. Give Judith a round of applause. Oh, fantastic. When David runs into that valley towards Goliath, when David runs spinning, spinning at six to seven revolutions a minute, his sling, no one is betting on Goliath. I mean, the soldiers have been taking bets and the bookies say bets off. No bets, you can't come and bet because everybody sees what's just about to happen. A slow moving Goliath is never going to win against an experienced slinger. If we fight Goliath on Goliath's terms, we'll lose. If David had fought Goliath in Saul's armour, he would have lost. But David refused to fight in Saul's armour. And he fought him another way. Let me read just a few more verses. Verse 45 to 48, it says this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear. Notice in this, David mentions sword and spear twice. You are coming with me with sword and spear in this manner and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword and spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to David, he wants David, he's saying to David all the time, come closer, come closer. Because if he knows if this goes hand to hand, close combat, there's no chance. As he moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. And then we know the end of the story. David kills Goliath. The giant is killed. He grabs his sword. He removes his head. The Philistines are chased out of the valley of Elah back to the sea. And Jerusalem, the capital city, is saved. David brought his boldest self to his biggest challenges. So in these last few minutes... 
How, what can we learn from this story that we've told, maybe in a way that we've never heard it before? Well, there's three things I just want to share and share these very briefly. Here's the first thing. Be aware of what is proven. When Saul dresses David in his armour, David said, I, I can't use that. I'm not used to that. But the Hebrew language says it this way. I have not proven this. I can't wear this armour because it's not proven. Saul thinks he's got to fight on Goliath's terms. But David sees he doesn't have to go against Goliath with sword and spear and javelin. That he can fight the same way he fought the lion and the bear and the wild animals. When you and I feel worry, when you and I feel fear, when we lose confidence because of our circumstances and situation, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to fight us on those terms. How do you feel about this? He wants us to fight battles on his terms. How does it feel to you? But David wouldn't fight on Goliath's terms. He'd proven something else in his life and he would fight on what was proven. And I believe we need to be aware of what's been proven, proven through history, proven through people of faith throughout the century, proven even in our own lives. What about proven friends, faithful friends, encouraging friends, friends who stand with you. 32 years, Jeannie and I have stood with people. We're still here. We've not moved. We're still here standing with people, proven friends. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools will suffer harm. Proven friends are so important. Just like Saul's armor was not good on David, it was ill-fitting. The wisdom of some people is not good on you is not good on you. It doesn't look good on you. It doesn't work for you. It is not proven. It's not proven in their life. So it will not be proven in your life. Proven friends. What about proven practices? David is referring to this. David is confident in history, his own history, but also Israel's history. He's confident that God has been with him, that he's learned things, that he's had to face challenges, the lion, the bear, and other intruders. And he's got these practices. And that made him stand up in his boldest self that day and realise I, if I am aware of what I've proven, I am not the underdog. Something else is going on here. The lion came, the bear came. I was able to defeat them. And David had these practices. He was a worshipper. He was, a, he was writing songs as a young man. He keeps writing songs. At this point in his life, he writes more songs and then he writes more songs as he becomes king. He's a worshiper of God. He's a servant of God. He's given over to God's purposes and God's will. He's also a willing spirit. Nobody had stepped forward for 40 days, but David says, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. He's a willing spirit. Yeah. No one had stepped up, but David did. He had a willing spirit. I'm up. He had a desire to play his part, whatever that was, to give, to contribute. Not to be somebody who stands just upon the ridge watching and wondering what's going to happen, but to come down and take on the giant for the sake of God's purposes. David's not willing to be a spectator. He's going to be a participator. Next week, I want to talk to you about a giant I'm facing right now in my life, personally. And how? It's a giant I didn't expect, I didn't see coming, and I thought would leave me quite quickly. But this giant keeps coming out to taunt me. But I want to share with you how I am finding a way. If I fight on the giant's terms, I'll lose. But if I can fight on God's terms, I might win. I want to share that with you next week. You know, so David was going to find a way to defeat 
this giant, to combat its power. And he proves that God's way, that God's wisdom can help us overcome giants in our lives. He trusts what's proven and he trusts what's trusted in his life. Be aware of what's been proven, what's been trusted in your life. The second thing is be prepared. And by saying be prepared, yes, I mean uh, be prepared, be ready. Of course, we think of be prepared as we need to be ready for things. But we also need to allow things to prepare us. We go through things, and I believe as we go through things, God uses them to prepare us. He doesn't send them, but he uses them. That's what God's like. And there are things that we will face we need to be prepared for, and we'll get in front of our giants, and we'll realize God did something in our lives back then. Something happened to us back then that's prepared us for this moment. And we'll be like David, a worshiper, thanking God that we're ready, that there was a lion and bear in our history, and now we've got the tools we need to take down this giant, this Goliath. We'll be prepared for it, but also we are going to be prepared by it. We're going to be prepared by it. We need to be prepared for fear, intimidation. We need to be prepared for loss of confidence in, in our lives. But we also need to be prepared by those things to put our trust in God. You know, Israel as a nation was always an underdog, always the underdog. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we forget this. They've been slaves for 400 years. They weren't a fighting nation. They were an oppressed nation. They were an oppressed people coming out of slavery, running from their slaves' masters. And then they'd had 40 years in the wilderness where they ate manna. Do you know what manna means? What's this? Have you ever been to a restaurant and had a meal? You've ordered a meal and you've, you've looked at it and you've thought, what's this? Or tasted it. They had that for 40 years. Every day they used to look at each other, Judith, and they used to say, what's this? 40 years. They'd had, they weren't coming out in, in, you know, like strong in, with militia and ready to fight and ready to take on any enemy that stood before them. They were coming out as a weak nation of slaves. But God was with them and God would fight for them. And God would use this journey of 40 years. He would use that history of 400 years of slaves. He would use their their battles as they came into this land and the people stopping them. He would use this to prepare them and to train them. Be prepared. And I think one thing that's helpful for us to do is, is to not ask why, but to ask what. So often when we face a giant in our lives, and this is normal, this is natural, we say, why? Why, God, are you doing this? Why have you, why have you left me? Why is this happening? Why? But if we can ask what, what are you going to teach me? What are you going to show me? What are you going to do in this moment? That's a much better question. Ask what in that moment and not why. It's a much better question. Psalm 144 and verse 1. It's a psalm of David. He says this, Praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He had experienced that God had prepared him. I've got a great quote for you this afternoon. It's from Joyce Meyer. And it says this, If God puts a Goliath in front of you, he must believe that there's a David inside of you. What an incredible quote that is. God is training you. God is equipping you. God is preparing you because God is going to use you. And as I say that, I want you to sense the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in your life that God is going to use you. You might be facing a giant right now. You might be facing a situation right now. God will use it to prepare you because God is going to use you. And the final thing, and the band are going to come back, is be positive. 
David's view of God is incredible. The whole army is, is retreating in fear and, and I'd have been with them. Who's, who's going to fight this guy? But David has this view of God and this view of the enemy. And he says things like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he has faith in God, so much faith in God that in the midst of his biggest challenge, he knew God was with him. He knew God was with, with him. The God who helped me kill the lion and bear is going to help me defeat you also. He didn't just know, though, that God was with him. He knew that God was for him. That God was with him, God is for him. And sometimes we know, yeah, God's with us. God's with us all the time. But do you know that God is for you? That God is for you? He also knew that God would guide him. I believe that happens when he's trying on Saul's armour. And he just has this revelation. I've not proved this. I, I can't wear this. I can't fight Goliath on Goliath's terms. I've got, to, I've got to go in who I am. I've got to be who God's made me in this situation. And God guides him as he goes forward. And finally, he trusted God's ways. He knew God was with him. He knew God was for him. He knew God would guide him. But he also knew that he could trust God. I love what he says. We read it earlier. 1 Samuel 17, 47. It says this. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. I told you at the end, I would tell you that God is with you. And therefore, you're not the underdog. You see, David knew I believe he knew he had the skill. He had the ability to take down this slow giant who could not move as long as he didn't fight the giant on the giant's terms. But he also knew that the battle was the Lord's and God's was with him. So do you know that this morning? Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that God is for you? He's a good God. I still think we struggle, I struggle with understanding that God is a good God and He's for me. Do we know that today? Do we know that God would guide us? He will guide us in our life. He'll direct us in our life. He'll nudge us and move us into the right spot. If we will put the battle into His hands, for the battle is the Lord's. So how do we bring our boldest self to our biggest challenges? Well, like David, we stay with what's proven. We don't try and go off here with some newfangled idea or some, something that somebody's saying. No, no, we stay with what's true. Tried, tested, proven. We stay with God's wisdom that has blessed people for thousands of years. We trust that. We allow God to prepare us, to prepare us for things, but to prepare us His thing, in things. We ask, what? What, Lord, are you doing? What are you teaching me? What are you showing me? We don't ask we don't just ask why, why am I facing this? We ask what is happening in this situation and we stay positive knowing that we can put the battle into God's hands because the battle belongs to the Lord and you are not the only one fighting and there's another, another in the fire with you. Come on, let's stand. Let's worship God this morning. Let's know that God is with us, that God is for us, that He will guide us and that the battle belongs to the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Icon Church. If you'd like any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. Have the best week.